Good evening, and welcome to Bright Lights, uh, our weekly podcast where we talk to achievers in all fields of human endeavor, where we focus on business, education, and ideas, uh, family, and to be honest with you, as the host, uh, anything that I choose, but I normally try to stay into that. But, you know, anything could fall in the category of ideas. Uh, we're coming to you live here from uh, our studio here in North Minneapolis. Uh, so welcome. Uh, the, I normally give a weather update, but you know about that. Just a couple of quick things. Uh, I just got the news before I went on. Uh, we w went on there this evening that uh, there's been another shooting uh, not far from where we live, a 12-year-old or something uh, on 12th and Aldrich. Uh, this is, once again, as far as I'm concerned, the results of all the lawlessness that's taken place in the Twin Cities as a result of this whole craziness about defunding the police, this whole craziness about uh, these people need to grieve and express their grievances and their dissatisfaction and with the justice system and things. So we let them burn down and tear and destroy the police, third precinct police station. Uh, it's uh, dealing with all this uh, fake Black Lives Matter type stuff is, that's going on. All the money that's pouring into the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, and not going out to the people that they're supposed to be fighting for. Uh, so it's all connected there, which is. Uh, uh, related to our guest tonight, uh, our guest is uh, Victor Martinez. Victor is running for city council. Uh, uh, excuse me if I say thank God because I've been up front. I think the whole bunch should be kicked out just about. There's a couple of them on there we should keep, but the rest of them we should get rid of. And I've been up front that I think Minneapolis City Hall is an insane asylum in a lot of ways, especially at the top. And I think the inmates are in charge of the insane asylum, starting with uh, Mayor Fry and most of the city council, and we need to do something about it. So uh, once again, the bad news about another uh, violent murder that's occurred in the community, and we'll get into that, like I say, with Victor here later on. Just another couple of quick things, because I normally have a couple of quick personal stories. and. Uh, Two I chose today. One is uh, uh, on uh, Broadway in Washington. And people who's listening, who's not familiar with Minneapolis, they probably wonder what the heck I'm talking about. But people who, know, who live here, they know what I'm talking about. I saw a guy, a gentleman, I don't know, in his 50s or so. And you know how people stand on the corner with their signs and things and ask for money. And his sign said, uh, Homeless Lives Matter. And that just brought a little chuckle from me. I thought that was rather creative. And then the second story I have, uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, and, you know, we live in a great little neighborhood, uh, at least before all this craziness started. But people be amazed to find out that we have deer and we have raccoons and badgers. And my favorite, my little squirrels and my little rabbits, that's me and my grandson, a uh, little favorite too. And those of you who live here, you know, you got those hard plastic uh, garbage uh, containers that you put your trash in. And that, that rubber is pretty hard. But interesting little thing, and I love little squirrels. Uh, they find a way to bite holes into these things and go down in them and look for food. Uh, but one of the results of that is that if it snows and the crows are looking for food, they just hang out by the garbage can and wait for the squirrels to get the food and they take it from them. But where I'm going uh, with this, and it's going to segue into our discussion with our guests today, is so yesterday morning, I go out to take the trash out and I look up and there's a big hawk perched on the fence by the garbage disposal. And I'd never seen a hawk before, uh, not in the cities here. And I'm like, dang. And the interesting thing about it, though, the hawk at first looked at me like, look, hey, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here for my breakfast, and you can do whatever I want. But however, uh, and then I call out to my wife and told her there was a hawk back here. 
And I guess he said, well, you know, I got second thoughts. I'm going to retreat. But I know he's going to come back. And really, it saddens my heart to say, and I hope I'm wrong, I have not seen any of our rabbits uh, recently. I hope our hawk has not taken, uh, eaten up all of my rabbits and stuff that me and my grandson like to love. But here's the thing. And it's uh, symbolic of something we're going to talk about tonight. Like I said, the hawk just retreated. I know he's going to come back. And I've told everyone about these inmates down at City Hall on this whole defund the police issue. They're not going away. Now, when it blew up a little bit and they realized that it wasn't going to fly with most of the public here, uh, they kind of retreated and they tried to use different words and, and reform and what's the word, other word, reimagine all that silliness as if they think most of us are silly. But I told them that they're not going to give up on getting rid of the police department. I mean, they're not. And they're going to disguise it and they're going to try to do it in tricky ways. They're going to only retreat. And sure enough, right now, uh, they're trying to change the city charter to do just that. They're doing it in a sly, slick way, as they normally do with word games and trying to deceive the public of their true intentions. And the good thing about it, every once in a while, the judge catches them on it because the judge know what they're trying to do. But they're still trying to sneak it in. And I want the people in, in Minneapolis to know, don't let these people trick you. Uh, those who want to get rid of the defund the police, they're not going away. They're going to be like that hawk. They're going to keep coming back until they can get what they're looking for. But once again, let's get into that with our uh, guest evening candidate for Minneapolis City Council from the 5th Ward here in Minneapolis, my ward, uh, Mr. Victor Martinez. Uh, welcome, Victor, to Bright Lights. Hey, how, Lazy. How are you doing, sir? Good, brother. Thank you for having me, man. Uh, you're more than welcome, and I try to always be open and honest with my audience. Vic, uh -oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> that's the first time that's happened. <laughs> you're becoming a popular man. <laughs> now, let me take care of that. And uh, hold on, let me make sure that doesn't happen here, Victor. This is live, though. That's what I love about it. Um, <laughs> and so uh, Victor and I met before and he stopped by the office and we had a good time because we had a lot of uh, our goals uh, in mind that we want to work to accomplish. And I love the fact that uh, people who have goals and trying to serve their community don't let differences get in the way. We just focus on results and working together to get things done. And that's what Victor and I talked about. And that's what we're still done doing. And so, uh, Victor, like I say, welcome. Why don't you uh, tell our audience a little bit about yourself, where you were born at, uh, how you ended up in Minneapolis, and let's start there. And we know you've been doing a lot of great things here in the city. Uh, we know you're a minister, but let's start off with, you know, where, you, where you're from and how it was growing up and, and what got you to Minnesota. Absolutely. Thank you. So I was made in Mexico, born in California, and raised in Minnesota. And I say that because I want to paint a picture of the of the chaos and and dysfunctionality of what a, that kind of upbringing looks like. We moved every year of our life until I bought my first home ten years ago, and uh, we came to Minnesota because in California minimum wage really is minimum wage. It, it's just it was I don't know eight dollars something back then, uh, fifteen years ago when we came six seventeen years now, and. Um, we left when I was eight. I'm 36 now. <laughs> so do the math. But there's a Minnesota always paid more than really the rest of the country. Um, pays more for manual labor. Um, Minnesota is really one of the best places, especially in Hennepin County, uh, is one of the best places in the country for low income and poor people to, to be here. And that's what brought me and my family. My mom was a migrant worker. My mom's boyfriend uh, did manual labor. And uh, and that's why we stayed here in Minneapolis. We believe that Minneapolis is a beautiful city, has a lot of potential, and one of the best places to raise a family. Okay. And uh, what uh, you went to school here. I think you graduated from Patrick Henry. Uh, what have you done as far as career-wise since you've been here? 
and we'll talk about your uh, ministry and your pastor uh, work uh, after that. But from a career standpoint, uh, what have you been doing? And tell us a little bit about your family here. Yeah, I worked for an identity theft company for 13 years doing marketing. It was did very well for myself there. Then I did work for uh, a nonprofit that does it did event planning all over the country. Um, and uh, and obviously the pandemic made sure that slowed down a little bit. And now I'm running for city council, Ward 5, and uh, I've been pastoring bivocationally for the last 17 years. So what got you into for lack of a better way of putting it, and I should be able to put it better than that. Uh, what got you into pastoring, uh, Victor? When we were kids in California, um, we were, you know, poor kids. We Section 8, we didn't have uh, a lot of money. And the church would always help us. The church would always give us free food, uh, free clothing. Uh, drove my mom around, helped us out with um, one of my siblings. She died a few months after birth, and the church came and helped us uh, raise money and bury her. And uh, the experience was always positive. The church was always there to help us, uh, feed us, support us, and uh, we'll go to church. And just uh, as a natural progression of things, I, I've heard the, the gospel of, of Jesus and, 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 and touched my life and impacted my life in ways like, that I could never imagine. And so I feel deeply uh, uh, grateful for, for the message. And, and I feel uh, a, I feel a responsibility to continue to share that message that brought so much hope and, and light to my family, to the rest of the community here in North Minneapolis. Okay. And tell us about your family here and your family life here in Minneapolis, your current family life. Uh, my family, we didn't have very, we don't have any extended families for my immediate family. I got a brothers. I got, uh, we're six of us. Um, we have, uh, uh, now that I married into a really big family, my wife's family is, there, there are a lot of them all over Minneapolis and uh, Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota. Uh, I have three children. I have a nine-year-old daughter named uh, Priscilla, uh, Victoria, six, and Valentin, that's five. Uh, I love them very much, and they've taught me a lot about life real fast. Okay, so that's enough about you, Victor. <laughs> no, just kidding. Let's transition into some uh, issues discussion and things like that. Um, but before we get there, I try to always be honest with my audience and consistent across the board. Uh, you mentioned the uh, favorable environment uh, for those who are not as for the disadvantaged people moving here as far as wages and things like that, a Hennepin County and things like that. And one of the issues that we've been talking about here is the fact that uh, the average income of the person moving out of Minnesota, from what I hear, the data I've heard, and I don't have no reason to doubt it, is $200,000 versus the average income of the people moving in is $37,000 a year. And I mean, if you do the math, Victor, and from a leadership standpoint and from people who've been in Minnesota for a while, when they hear numbers like that, and be honest, when I hear numbers like that, you'd be concerned about, you become concerned about the future of the state. What would you say to people like me and people who look at that and say, sooner or later, we're going to, and because of the high taxes in the business environment, you got people moving out. In fact, I'm seeing posts on social media, people moving to Florida and everywhere else saying, I'll never come back to Minnesota. And that doesn't sound like it bode well for the future of the state. What would you say to people like me and people out in the audience who's concerned about a statistic like that? Yeah, I haven't looked at that yet. I haven't looked at those <laughs> numbers. Uh, obviously, state is a whole nother beast. I'm just okay. trying to run for represent my ward here in North <laughs> Minneapolis. You know, that's kind of where 99% of my attention is uh, talking to everybody I can in this ward, talking to everybody that's that um, that that will talk to me, uh, no, no matter where their income level is, no matter where uh, they where are they on the political roadmap, uh, even people that really don't like me. Um, I want to talk to them. I want to get to know them. So that's kind of where all my attention is at right now in the community. Uh, I do worry, though, that uh, our downtown, which is 40% of our revenue, uh, is it, struggling. And if, if they're going to make up that money by taxing properties everywhere else. And so mm -hmm. you're going to push out poor people in our community or people that are, uh, you know, senior citizens that are in fixed income. You're jacking up their property taxes five, six percent every year or something like that. That's really a problem. Um, and that we have to control that. That's the future of our city uh, downtown. We need that to be able to take a lot of the burden off the rest of uh, the, the homeowners in the community. Yeah. And just so our audience will know, we normally have a chat before we come on live 
and uh, you indicated to me that this is the first political office that you ran for, you've mm -hmm. run for. Yep. Uh, I just, I'm saying that to say this, I thought the way you pivoted on that question and gave that answer was pretty good <laughs> for a novice. I'm learning, man. I'm learning <laughs> on the ropes, baby. You know, you get hit on the ropes, you're like, oh, okay, not that one again. <laughs> okay, so. that's good. So let's talk a, a, a couple of other issues here. Uh, let's start with crime. And, you know, as part of my introduction, I talked about the 12-year-olds who was shot just as recently as today. Uh, I've talked about my neighbor's son who was killed, wonderful young man, his only child, uh, him and his wife, only child. It was a few weeks ago it happened. I think they've uh, uh, arrested six uh, young men about that. and. And I guess three of them was released uh, using this bail fund, that, we, and we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, uh, but uh, let's talk a little bit about the crime, Victor. And you and I shared some uh, conversation on that, and I expressed to you that when I moved to Minneapolis, this was in 72, uh, that it was just a wonderful city, hardly any crime. You could walk anywhere you wanted to. Uh, strangers would stop at the bus stop and give you rides. Uh, you go out to clubs and things, and people will come through and hand everybody uh, their home address, and they come on over after because they wasn't concerned about anybody acting a fool. Uh, there was hardly any any murders. In fact, I was telling someone the other day, another old school guy. I just remember the first time I heard of a murder in Minneapolis was at a club called the Blue Note, and I was just shocked by it all. And but we've gone from that. Where it's just such a common thing. Uh, what do you think about uh, the crime, and what do we need to do about it? First of all, uh, tell what do you think is behind this? What is causing all of this, in your uh, estimation or, or opinion, uh, Victor? Minneapolis is one of the worst places in the country when it comes to um, dealing with public safety. Uh, other cities have done very well with it. And for some reason, our city continues to do a very bad job. Um, I think that it's very dysfunctional. I think that uh, the city council and our city leadership isn't bringing anybody together. And so the people that end up suffering are people in the community. There's this stalemate going on that doesn't allow for anything to really get better. It just kind of gets stuck. And then the new administration comes in and they want to do it all over again and they get stuck. And last year, that's what I got tired of. You know, I'm a pastor. The last thing I wanted to do is run for anything political and get all messy. And so, but just a lot of things happened last year that really affected my family, my 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 church, and my friends' businesses. I mean, my wife is completely anti-guns, but last year when we started hearing this rhetoric of defunding the police and staffing levels were low and the firefighters had to let buildings burn because they couldn't get to them, then I found out later that the EMS were almost going to be pulled, the Hennepin County EMS, uh, Thursday, 4 o'clock, they were about to be pulled from the entire city of Minneapolis because they couldn't have enough officers to come cover scenes for them. I mean, mm -hmm. when that stuff happened, I mean, I didn't care. I'm like, oh, hold on, I got to do something about this. And th that's why I threw myself out of here because I think the dysfunctionality of our city council is making our our, our constituents get hurt. I really right. believe that instead of them making their number one priority public safety, it's really this extreme leftist, progressive, far left uh, movement mm -hmm. of like, let's just try something different and see what happens. And so it's hurting our community. I don't agree with it. I think our city is dysfunctional. I think nobody's working well together. I'm talking about the county, the city. I'm talking about the state. There's not a, a really good glue to it altogether. And, and that's why I decided to run. I want to bring that message of unity and bringing restoration back into our community. And I think we could do better. But yes, the rhetoric of our city council, of, of uh, elitists in our city, are really taking Minneapolis in a bad place. We we were the top two uh, murder increases in the in the country last year. Seattle was the other one, and so we're doing a really bad. And I think it's November second. <laughs> the citizens of Minneapolis need to respond, and everyone else that cares about Minneapolis needs to, needs to help out those candidates that are going to bring some sanity to the city of Minneapolis. Okay, so we'll talk about being a pastor and also running for political office uh, in the context of that scripture says, render unto Caesar, that's which is Caesar, and under God, that's which is God. And I have a lot of people in the religious community that I communicate with, and some of them believe that the two don't go together, but we'll talk about that. But before we go there, and once again, quoting the scripture, uh, iron sharpens iron, and you know, sometimes people say steel sharpens steel. And where I'm going there, uh, I, I, 
I can't just let people get away with stuff. We have to challenge people and challenge each other uh, to get better and, and look at things differently and to improve. Uh, but you mentioned that Minneapolis is, well, kind of implied because I don't remember the exact quote, but I got the impression that you think Minneapolis is one of the way worse than a lot of other cities. And I say that from the standpoint of, and I've traveled to just about every major big city here in the United States. And up until recently, I would say New Yorkers probably, believe it or not, are probably the safest I felt in any big city. It was just incredible. And I walked a lot of neighborhoods and just about all the boroughs in New York City, and I never really felt threatened. But when you look at other cities across the country, they all seem like they got the same issues. And by the way, they're all run by Democrats, I should <laughs> Well, most of them. What, what, uh, was, what, what was funny, when I moved to Minnesota, uh -huh. California, San Diego, um, Los Angeles was like one of the worst. I mean, right. it was terrible. And Minneapolis, when I came here, was like better. And somehow, since I've been here 17 years, the roles have switched. Los Angeles has had a way more success with dealing with crime and murders. And Minneapolis just went up the other way, and especially the last two years. It's just, it's ridiculous. And, and, and you're going to force me to go out and do some uh, learning here. Because when we think of Los Angeles, we think about the gangs and the, I mean, and, and, and our impression of Los Angeles is that it's not getting any better. And, but you're telling me that in terms of the violence, in terms okay. of the violence oh, and murders, okay. Okay. like San Diego, when we left San Diego, I mean, right. Escondido, uh, Escondido, which is a suburb of San Diego. I mean, our, our houses had bar windows. Right. right, they had more mm -hmm. windows. It was a regular thing. And right. when we, when I came to Minnesota, there is no, there in Minneapolis, St. Paul, there's no bar windows. Like, oh, it's safe here. I know exactly you know? what so, you mean. So that's kind of at least for my perspective as a kid. Right, right. Like, right, whoa, right, I right. left that. And back then we had, you know, Mexican gangs. You know, yeah. uh, bald head. You know, the the shirts like this, and they were running the streets like, you know, like nothing. And when I came to Minneapolis, it wasn't that that prevalent. You know, okay. it just wasn't there. So that's kind of the. the where I come from. That's a very good point. I just remember, that I'm not going to even name the city. The first time I went to a large city and I saw the same thing, bars at doors and windows. And I think people were stealing people clothes off the clothesline. And I was like, how do people live like this? Okay. So that's uh, as far as crime. Uh, and did you ever uh, say to me, what do you see as the main uh, determinants of this crime and uptick in lawlessness that uh, you mentioned that as far as the leadership and the, what they're setting. Okay. And I think that's good. One uh, of the, go ahead. I would, uh -huh. I would just add number one is trust. No family, no church, no organization, no city can function without trust. When its citizens lose trust of its government, when the when the, the government uh, builds divide between its law enforcement and the community, everybody goes in their corners. And without trust, you can't build anything. You can have the best plan for public safety. You can you have the best plan for reform. But if you don't restart with building trust in the community, whether it's stopping the rhetoric at the city hall, uh, mm -hmm. whether it's uh, bringing you know racial reconciliation meetings in the community for people that want to really come together on that and, mm -hmm. and work on it, like let's give these opportunities. You've got to rebuild trust. That's how it works. But right now, the reality is no matter what your plan is, we have to defeat this uh, number two question on the ballot to mm -hmm. abolish our police. And, and that's straight up abolish the dismantling, uh, whatever you want to call it. Like you said, they're all changing the words now, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, And mm -hmm. I, got, I got some amazing statistics. I've In the last two months, I've talked to over 1,500 people in this ward. 1,500 in the last two months, door knocking. Mm -hmm. And out of those 1,500, only, only about 45 of them uh, have either identified as a defunders or abolisher, which majority of them are abolishers. And out of those 45, 40 of them are young white people in yeah. this war. That tells you something. That. And so yeah. uh -huh. uh, that's the number one issue right now. We need to defeat this ballot question on November 2nd. Vote no North Minneapolis. We don't want to get rid of our police. Another kid just got killed. We need police to be able to do investigations. We need to be uh, police to be able to find people that are hurting our community. And, and by bringing down more of their staffing, it's going to take longer and longer. An article just came out yesterday. 80% of the murders have gone unsolved. 80%. Like what's that going to cost? More retaliation. More retaliation. Mm -hmm. People don't trust the police to get the work done. I'm going to go get it done for my family. Okay. And, and once again, uh, and just a slight difference. Uh, and I, I'm somewhat a conservative when it comes to government. And and what I was going to say there, I, I would substitute the word trust 
with confidence in our leaders and in the government. And, and the reason I say that is because the whole idea of how the uh, Constitution was framed is that you can't trust the government. But uh, uh, we should have confidence and they should be competent uh, to do what we elect them to do and, and what, what, the, what the citizens want. Uh, so, so let's talk about another thing that I've heard about uh, is, and it's kind of a tricky area. I, I heard last year that there was a lot of sex trafficking going on in downtown Minneapolis. Have you heard anything about that? And if elected, what would you do about that? Uh, I haven't heard too much about downtown. I know I've heard it more on Lake Street. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I've driven mm -hmm. Lake Street in, in, and uh, I've seen some really shady things happening along the corridor. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, I know it's there. I've heard it from constituents over there. I've heard it from uh, Alondricano has mentioned it, talked about it. And so uh, it's something that I, I want to understand better in terms of mm -hmm. where it's happening more at. I, I know a lot of sexual abuse is happening at these encampments that had popped mm -hmm. up. And so when you create an environment where these things could happen more, it's mm -hmm. definitely something worrisome. And I think we definitely need to address it and, and deal with this. And I think what the, a few years ago or a year ago, they had said the the rape because most of them hadn't been had dealt with or hadn't hadn't been properly investigated. And, and again, I go back to, you know, we need staffing to be able to do all that work. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. There's a lot of justice that needs to be served. And if we don't uh, support our our police chief uh, chief Rondo to get that work done, we can't complain about it later. Right, right. Well, you mentioned the demographics and generally I try to stay away from the group ID thing, but sometimes it is appropriate. You mentioned. Uh, your survey of the 1,500 people or so in North Minneapolis about defunding the police. And I think you said uh, there were, f however many, 45 was uh, like 45 in favor. About, yeah, yeah and, and a great percentage of that was young white kids, uh, just white folks. I, I think that's what you Young heard. white folks. And, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and that's consistent. Uh, and, I mean... Uh, Malcolm X said that the worst enemy of America and black people are white liberals. And uh, he might have been uh, under something that, and I say that from the standpoint of, I have neighbors who are white liberals, we talk about it. And they're just saying, communicating with their white liberal friends out in the suburbs and everything is kind of tough. And uh, I'll, I'll tell them, my wife was talking to a lady, a white lady, and she was surprised that uh, every black person did support Black Lives Matter. As a matter of fact, she's surprised that most of us don't like them at all. We don't trust them at all. We're talking about trusting things. We don't trust them at all. They were surprised because they're living in this this make believe world. Uh, the bubble. This, the, bubble. Yeah, the bubble. Yeah, I don't know what. It, in fact, they they just oh boy. And but we'll we'll continue to pray for them and work on them, and we'll <laughs> we'll continue to assume they got good intentions. But they just bad for what's going on in the community. And this whole defund the police is a, a perfect example. You mentioned that hardly anyone in the neighborhood wants it, and they're trying to convince other, uh, mostly white voters, and and some of these young indoctrinated yeah. blacks, that they're really doing this for the good of our community, and we know it's not. And we're here living and seeing the results of this craziness. In fact, it was refreshing. And I have uh, friends who are just staunch, hardcore Democrat. Even they are calling this stupid. But yet and still, they're still trying to pretend yeah. like they're doing us a favor by putting this in. Go ahead. I, I, I heard a comment on a, on a meeting where Al Flowers, member of our mayor and he was an uh, Al, which is a really strong strong republic uh, democrat he was like, all the way but man i feel like a republican right now uh, uh with this police happening you know like, like what are you trying to get rid of a police and mayor kids back to him is like yeah i'll be the new R R R romney of, of our of our time you know and so uh people that are moderate democrats they really feel like they're being pushed over to the to the right because they're like anybody that's a moderate they're trying to shame you that you're a republican you know i'm the, i'm probably the most moderate candidate in this ward uh you know i tell people um and uh you know they want to pay me as, as far right as they can but it's like at what point did a person of strong that stuff you know i think that we we need to respect each other to make it happen right 
and just so you know, we are having a slight few technical difficulty with sound here once in a while, Victor. But I think the audience got most of the gist of what you're saying is that, and you're just being reflective of the people who live in these communities. We know it's a dumb, crazy idea. And I don't know how I got that far. And we know it's a dumb, crazy idea. And we don't know where they, why they keep insisting on trying to implement something like that. If they really care about the people who they say they care about. And I, you know, some of us just believe it's just a part of a, 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 a scam anyway, that it's a part of an ambition and a, a plan to uh, just uh, change the, the way we exist in a lot of these cities and things like that. So that, that's good to know. Um, just pivoting a little bit, and we'll come back to the whole defund the police and talk about what they're doing now and the plans and things like that. But you mentioned earlier uh, that uh, to support a lot of the government uh, programs and expenditures and things like that. We need tax revenues from successful businesses. Uh, and for some reason, Victor, it seems like our leadership don't understand the importance of business generating uh, revenues to pay taxes on. Uh, and I'm saying that from the standpoint of there seem to be somewhat of a lackadaisical attitude about all the suffering that our businesses are going through, especially uh, downtown Minneapolis, there seem to be a lack of appreciation and understanding that what it takes and the sacrifice it takes to start a business and to make a business work. Uh, how do you feel about the recent policies toward businesses and what uh, is your plan to build and rebuild these businesses in downtown Minneapolis? So first, uh, just talk about the general situation with businesses here and then uh, your plan to uh, build and rebuild these businesses. Yeah, I know last year I was just as upset as anybody when these businesses that got burned down, uh, they weren't allowed to clear the rubble until they paid their second half year taxes on a building they no longer owned. Mm -hmm. Like how crazy is that? It took two months. For the for the council to realize there was an issue going on with that, and so mm -hmm. I think that we're in a very difficult situation right now in our city. We need to, if we're going to ask our businesses to be greener, if we're going to ask our businesses to pay more to our employees, we need to make it easier for their businesses to exist. For example, here in, in Ward Five, they are parking on Plymouth Avenue. There's two businesses on Plymouth Avenue. They lot parking. Just like that, without being talked to, without being uh, reached out to, nothing. So you start there. Whatever changes you want to do in our city, you need to make sure that they're not at the altar of sacrificing our mom and pop businesses in the community. And so that's where it starts at. Well, you mentioned some of the decisions that they made in the community where the community wasn't involved and where I'm not so sure the community was support. This might seem like a petty thing, but these bike paths that we all of a sudden looked up and they came out of nowhere and and traffic is now being backed up and you look up, you hardly ever see anybody riding bikes in them. How the heck did that happen, Victor? And how do we prevent something like that from happening in the future? Representation. If you don't get to the community, if you don't educate the community, if you don't talk to the community, it doesn't work. That's what it is. The people in the community are pretty pragmatic. People in the community, they want their businesses, they want good things, but they don't want it to be sacrificed. And if you don't bring, if you don't represent mm -hmm. what the community wants, none of it works because then it's just all ide ideology. It's all like what I believe and what I think and what I want to do. And so that's not the way to govern. Yeah. You got to have the community at the, at the front. Uh, North Minneapolis mm -hmm. Ward 5 wants business back on Broadway. That's the third thing mm -hmm. they kept talking to me about. They want Broadway to come back. It's the worst business corridor in the city. We want it to be safe and clean and get all these businesses activated. If we get these slumlords, uh, city of Minneapolis being one of them, uh, keep them accountable. We could turn things around there. Well, you mentioned educating the community, communicating with the community, getting them involved. What I see, Victor, that lots of times. I, I have a quick emergency. Give me 30 seconds. Just 30 okay, seconds. Sure. I apologize. Okay. All right. No problem. Well, my audience, I don't even know whether am I still alive? Uh, my yes, you uh, are. great uh, tech engineer, Derek, here. 
Well, uh, Victor had to step away for a while. Uh, just bear with us for a second, and we'll continue this conversation. Uh, and then we'll broaden it a little bit. But there are some very uh, important issues uh, that's going on in Minneapolis. Uh, we know that it has national and international attention, and there's people with strategies for it. Okay. I'm glad everything Sorry about is that. okay, Victor. Yeah, 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 working from home and you got emergency kids. Oh man, all right, that's okay. <laughs> Look, the kids always come first, man, and 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 so I, I have no issue with that. I was I was mentioning though is that uh, often part of the strategy of sneaking things in is not communicating with the community and things like that. So. Yep. What do we do to prevent that? And you, as even if you get elected, you're one person. And if the council choose not to let the community know, and there's a lot of backroom behind the scenes things going on, and a lot of times it's affecting uh, poor communities and communities of the color. You got people with power and influence that want certain things, and and they might send out a meeting notice at the last minute because that's part of the strategy. So how do we well, what deal I commit, with that strategy, Victor? What I what I commit. Is I'm gonna be I'm gonna provide the best customer service experience that this ward has ever seen. Uh, I know we deal with the most um, kind of a lot of complaints from what I hear, but mm -hmm. there is a way to make sure people are, are heard, people are represented. Nobody should feel ostracized. Not even our, not even our senior citizens. Uh, I've already offered myself this past year to do meetings at the uh, at the uh, senior high rises here that are that are public housing. I've mm -hmm. I've met with uh, last October. I tried to talk. Uh, I've met with uh, over a hundred uh, Northside people um, to hear from them. Like we need to go to them. And so that's what I commit to is I'm going to go to the people. I'm going to build relationships. I'm going to communicate them whether it's email, uh, mail, and go in person and go see them. If you don't go see them and you always want them to come see you, I think that's a little unfair. And so I, I've, I've literally uh, knocked over 5,000 doors the last two months, 5,000 doors. I come to listen to the people in the residents of Ward 5, and that's what I want to represent. If there's policies that get pushed in the city that it's outside of my control, my job mm -hmm. is to at least educate the community, tell them why, who, how, or what. Like, that's my job. Explain to them why this happened, why I agree or why I don't agree, and be kept accountable by the community. Okay, and now you mentioned your children and things like that and the importance of them and where I'm segue into a, a topic which really not totally within the realm of a city council person, but all our education system. Uh, what uh, is your opinion of the schools being shut down for, I don't know, a year, year and a half, however long it's been, uh, and we have children in certain communities who's already way behind and got an education achievement gap and all you're doing now is making it worse. I think studies have been done as far as this remote learning that it's not working. And so with children of your own, what have you felt about these schools being closed down? And, and, and by the way, uh, uh, frame it in the context of, based on all the statistics and science that I've, I know of, that up until recently, at least, and I don't know whether that has changed, that the infection rate among young people were almost zero, uh, that um, the passing on, what did you think about the schools being closed and how did the online learning work for you as a parent? Um, I, don't, I don't really trust the Minneapolis public schools very much. Uh, I don't think they did a very good job uh, communicating to the parents. I think that uh, uh, my kids are in the Hopkins School District, um, and I have my reasons why I decided that uh, when I try to get my kids in, in the public school system in Minneapolis, I was treated very disrespectfully um, by the staff at the, at the headquarters. And uh, even they shut down, but they still had at least uh, school two days a week for uh, kindergarten and little kids. And while in Minneapolis, we had nothing. And even Head Start, PICA Head Start, think about that. PICA Head Start here, which is an essential research for our communities of color here in North Minneapolis, they were still open. Like, they were still open for their kids. And so, like, the, I don't know how they got, I think they got it wrong. I think they hurt uh, our kids of color here in this community um, because, especially the little ones, they, they need the best head start in, in, in their life. And I think we did a big disservice to them. So, I'm assuming, Circle, thanks for that input on the education system because I got a grandson and I just saw uh, how it was 
negative impact in his social development and things like that, not to be around children and things. And I was just totally against most of the stuff they were doing. And I saw the services that a lot of these parents needed with the children education wise that they weren't uh, providing and getting. And so I thank you for summarizing that. Let's, let's circle back around to this whole uh, charter change to, uh, I don't care what they say, they play words with the defund the police and basically get rid of the police and replace them with some public service and mental health people and uh what what do you think is going on there victor because it doesn't make any sense how do you explain this how do you explain that we got a majority of the city council we got a we got a i don't want to use the c word we got an ambitious i'll uh, just be nice we got an ambitious person in congress and they got this crazy idea and quoting my staunch Democrat friend, the stupid idea of defunding the police. How do how do you explain this? Help translate this okay. for someone like me. When I talk to people at the door that that have told me they're abolishers or defunders, mm -hmm. especially the abolishers, there's more abolishers than there's defunders. Okay, yeah. mm -hmm. that's the reality. And mm -hmm. when I talk to them, I say, "Hey guys, I understand what you guys are saying. You sound like me on Sunday morning." Me preaching a Sunday morning message, we, I preach an ideal, I preach uh, the gospel, like this is what we're aiming to. But the reality is most people don't work that way. Most people don't follow the ideal. You work with broken families and situations and people. And so they usually laugh. They're like, ha, ah, you're right. We, we sound like you. Right. I'm in the real world still. And I believe that uh, we can always have our ideals, but we have to work in what we have in our situation. And I try to befriend people that are abolished or defunder. Uh, oftentimes, they treat me very rude at the door, actually. The only people that have ever treated me rude at the door are, 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 are these folks. That, and, that makes sense. I know exactly yeah, what you're talking about. Go uh -huh. figure, man. And so uh, I want to give them a chance. I want to understand them. But I really think this is reckless, what they're doing. I really think a plan to have a plan in my book is called chaos. Like if if in our world to get a grant, you need to put a proposal. You need to put a plan and a budget. If you got to do that just to get a grant. A thousand dollar grant, two thousand dollar grant. How are you going to do that with when it comes to millions of dollars and and the safety of half a million people in our city? Not just our, our city, because whatever mm -hmm. you do here, it's going to affect the suburbs. The suburb people better be listening. Brooklyn Center, Brooklyn Park, New Hope, Robbins, all these places, Wyzetta, it's going to come. Whatever mm -hmm. happens in Minneapolis will set the tone for the rest of the city. And so I I think this is reckless. I think it's it's uh it it doesn't work. And we need to do everything we can to beat this uh this amendment on November second. So, and and I think you hit on it earlier. Uh, it's almost like a religion, by the way. Do they ever quote any facts and figures uh, of uh, the backup? What 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 they want to do? Okay, okay. Yeah, and, no. and, <laughs> and here's the thing too. And I talk to people in the community, and I know a little bit about this stuff myself. Uh, we know that there's a lot of outside money being poured into Minneapolis to make this happen. What do you think is motivating the people who's pouring all this outside money uh, into Minneapolis to support this craziness? Uh, I think, uh, you know, I'm new to politics. I don't know how money mm -hmm. works, but all I know is that my campaign, for example, you know, 85% mm -hmm. uh, of my uh, of my uh, contribution to my campaign have been from Minneapolis, 85, and I have mm -hmm. over almost 100 Northsiders giving to my campaign. When the previous uh, uh, two ward four and five candidates, they had a combine of like 30 people from from North Minneapolis uh, in their whole election, right? These two council members, and I already have almost 100. Mm -hmm. So I really believe there's that says something where you're getting funded from outside that mm -hmm. you that you have little to no support from where you're at. And so that's a bully tactic. I think it's completely unfair, right? It's it's just corrupted. I really feel that because if you really believe that this is what your people want, the people that we have another technical issue here uh, with Victor, and as soon as it get cleared up. Uh, what I want to know from him and everyone else with solutions to the law enforcement uh, quote-unquote issues, 
Are you back with us, Victor? Yeah, we lost yes, you for a while. I, I thought I lost you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think it's your Wi-Fi there. But uh, we're hardwired here, by the way. Uh, so I, I've seen some uh, information uh, on your website about your approach to policing, uh, and I want to ask you about it. But first, before you go there, and keep in mind, I'm a techie kind of guy. Well. I, I'm an English major too, though, so I do techie and and liberals type stuff. Uh, but you know, I'm used to data and facts and figures uh, being used to define the problem or issue you're trying to solve. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And because otherwise, what you think is a solution—well, what you think is the issue—is not the issue, and therefore, what you think is the solution is not the solution. So you got some ideas on some improvements that we need, but first give us some facts and figures and logic and data that led you to the improvements, to deciding that these improvements need to be made and how your solutions uh, are going to get us the result that we're looking for. We, I, I know what you're saying. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of statistics and facts out there that people aren't listening to. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of the things that we do know in terms of public safety and policing is that walking beat officers mm -hmm. is a proven way to rebuild trust in the community. And I, what I've been pitching to this community is, would you be interested in having walking beat officers back in this business corridor, back in our community? And almost every mm -hmm. single one of them have said, yes, Victor. We want to see our officers. We want to have a better relationship with an officer. We want to know their names. We want them to see our face, not just in a car. You never see or, or meet them unless something bad happens. And so uh, I've been pitching that, and people want it here in North Minneapolis. We want uh, a good relationship with our police. That's number one. Number two, obviously, we want accountability. Uh, one of the things that I, I'm, I, I support is the mayor's um, desire to have an um, uh, early intervention system to be able to identify trouble officers earlier in their career. So those are one of the things that I want to do. And I've been pitching that as well. And people in the community that, yes, yes, we want this. We want this. My message is getting across and the community wants it. These are the two things that need to happen. But again, I could have these two plans, but if we don't continue to watch our, our, our language as representatives for our city, if we don't continue to work together and not pushing each other out and calling people, you're white or you're black or you're this or you're that, you don't get it. And, and if we don't stop talking this stuff, and come together and find that consensus, even with people that are abolishers, I believe we could find a soft spot that we could work with them. And so that's where I think we could, uh, we need to start there to rebuild that trust or else all these other plans that we have are going to fall apart. So what do you see as the ultimate goals of these changes? I mean, I mean, I mean, that's such thing as moving the chairs around on the deck of the Titanic. And so what, what are we ultimately hoping to, and it sounds like a naive question, but I think sometimes we have to ask these questions what people really think about it. Uh, what do you see as the ultimate goal of uh, some of your reforms? Because, and before you answer that, I mean, honestly, sometimes I wonder what is the goal? Is it zero killings? Is it zero no, no that, killings? That's not the goal. Yeah, see, yeah. What's, the, what's the goal of what? what I don't believe it. Trust I don't, in the, go ahead. No, uh -huh. I, 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 I know what you're saying. I mean, I don't believe in this purist talking like, you know, I've heard council members before say we there should never, ever, ever again be another police involved shooting. Like, are you serious? Like, are you like, great. That's a great idea. But that's not the reality. The reality right. is that we have a lot of broken people in our community. Uh, there's a lot of hate with even within our own communities. Um, and so uh, it's not ever not going to have ever not going to happen. But yes, can we can we get it down? Can we start right. suppressing it? Can we start uh, uh, dealing with this so we have low numbers? So like when you said, when you did hear of a murder, it was something rare. Can we right. get it back there? And I believe right. that we could right. do it. Okay. And that's a good response there. So you've been following, I'm assuming, the news article about, once again, the games that they, they've been playing that changed the city charter. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about that and how they're going about doing that? And what would you ha be doing differently if you were I, sitting in yeah. one of those seats? I, I think, number one, I would vote against this kind of behavior, this kind of things. Uh, that's definitely where I would be. But I, I also believe that it's very um, disingenuine when you have 
very vague language that doesn't really tell you what it's going to, the effects are going to be genuine, dishonest. Right. And for them to be forced to get better, I, I saw they rewarded it. It got a little bit better, but it still kind of feels like some sort of abstract thing. And people don't realize, I mean, this right. stuff, could, uh, the chief came out publicly last week, right? He said, no, uh, he basically said, if this goes through, I quit. And he's the most popular guy in, probably in this campus, right? People trust him. People see him as a person that 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 really does well to represent. And he, he just came out and said, you do this, I quit. And so there you go. Do you want to dis, uh, defund, dismantle, and abolish the police? There goes your first domino. Well, I'm going to assume, and you can feel free to correct me, that you talk to police officers, the everyday get up, put on the uniform, and let's go out here and try to protect, defend, and serve. And I know there are people out there going to send direct right messages along. and stuff mm -hmm. on that one. But, <laughs> but, here, but, but here's the thing. Uh, given, and these are the numbers that I remember, and I hope I'm remembering them correctly, but, you know, numbers change or what. Given that, at one time, I think the chief was saying that we needed 1,200 officers. Uh, after the recent assault on law enforcement by our political leaders, uh, I hear that we're down, to, that we've got a lot of retirements, that it's hard to, and, and who can blame them? <laughs> it's hard to get anybody to become a law enforcement officer. I mean, you know, I mean, a cell phone can send you there. Uh, prison if you aren't careful and I don't want to make light of that you know I'm not just saying it's that kind of petty type thing but uh, given that it's not an attractive job for most people nowadays what would you do to rebuild the force and uh, keeping in mind well, what would you what would be your idea of how we rebuild, rebuild. the force. I just I yeah. think uh I don't know if you're familiar with pathway programs from the city of Minneapolis where you go straight from high school into these pathways, EMS, firefighter, MPD, things like that. Uh three years ago, me and Sergeant Carlos Byward, we did a uh a soccer camp uh in North Minneapolis. We had almost a hundred north side kids playing soccer three times a week and for a whole summer. And out of that group, uh, Sergeant, uh, Sergeant Carlos Byris was able to recruit two or three officers. In fact, last month, I saw one of them for the first time driving a police car. He is a CSO, uh, uh, Blas Garcia. And I was like, hey, mm -hmm. I know you. Hey, what's up? You know, like, yeah, he was excited, you know. And mm -hmm. he was excited, too. And guess what? Pal, where, where the, the system that we had to recruit him yeah, pal. went mm -hmm. away because there's no money now, you know? And it's like, if you want the community to look like us and come from us and live from uh, among us, you got to recruit from us. So what I propose to do is fund, seriously fund uh, recruitment efforts to recruit officers from the north side. I want them in the schools. I want them in the parks. I want them in, in front of churches. Uh, we need to recruit from us. We need to let them know that this is an honorable profession. This is one of the best ways out of poverty too, right? Like get young kids that are maybe not gonna go to college, but these are opportunities for them to get out of poverty, have a great union career, um, uh, have a good livelihood for the family. And then you get people mm -hmm. from the community that are better off. Uh, we rebuild through that. We need to heavily invest in recruitment of the North side. I think like three months ago, I saw in front of uh, sanctuary covenant church on Broadway, there was a little booth and there were some officers doing recruitment outside. I'm like, well, I don't remember the last time I ever saw that. Uh, I know that never happened at Patrick Henry. And so we need to bring that back. We need to make, uh, we need to bring back honor to our law enforcement because there's plenty of officers that are doing it right. Um, officer Adams, the coach from football, uh, for uh, North, High. North High School. I mean, uh -huh. he's a poster child of what it should look like. He's doing it right. He's got officers that are doing it right. There's no reason why uh, being a police officer should be a dirty thing. And I think it starts from the, with our city leaders to be able to change the language, say, hey, nobody wants bad cops. Uh, we want to weed them out and we, let's, let's work on weeding them out. But we need to make sure we take care of our good cops. We don't treat them. We don't slander them like uh, like they're the worst people in the world. Uh, Carlos Byers, my brother-in-law, he's a Salvadorian. I mean, he 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 had a partner that was African uh, partner. He said that when some of these writings happened, they were called uh, all the racial slurs in the book by white people. But for some for, for some reason, that's okay, and that is not okay. We need to make sure that our people that we want to keep, we respect them, and make sure they feel valued in our city. So. I'm a young man and I'm considering a career and I'm thinking that, okay, I can choose a career 
where I put my life on the line every day and uh, I uh, am not appreciated by my leaders. And there's a lot of publicity and stuff that says we're the worst people in the world. And I can go be a mechanic or a carpenter and I don't need all of this. It seems like to me that we're going to need some more incentives and more opportunities uh, than that. Uh, I have said before and without putting much thought into it, which is kind of dangerous anyway, but uh, I always thought that we're going to need kind of like a GI bill for law enforcement officers where they're getting college tuition, they get mortgage breaks and everything else to overcome this uh, because I, I hear that we're down to roughly 500. I don't know. Don't quote me on these numbers. And we need 1,200. Yeah, that's, I that's, the chief last year was talking about 1,400 was his 1,400? Number. Okay, so we're 700, 900 officers short. And we're not the only one. And it's, uh, it's, and we're not, the only, we're uh-huh. not the only city. So there is a massive shortage in the, in the country um, because of the things you've said. And, you, and I believe you're right. Yeah. And, you know, I've also pointed out to my audience that, look, knowing the people we're dealing with, uh, that even if they don't defund the police, they're looking at victory as we got it. If we have no one want to be a policeman and if there's lawlessness and I don't, you, you live in the same neighborhood I live in. I mean, you've seen, I mean, the number of people, I've seen more people run traffic lights in the past six months than my whole life. Yes. Yes. And it's, a, and, it, and it's just shame. And we need to tell all our friends over there who supporting this craziness that we got to have to live with this and uh, don't do us any favors. In fact, you're not doing us any favors by all this silliness that you're talking about with this defund the police and changing the police. Okay, so let's do this. I always, well, thanks for coming on. And as I explained to our audience, I explained to you, I try to be nonpartisan, but you know, it's, it's a show about ideas and politics is full of ideas. And so we want people to share that. So we will try to get uh, some of your uh, opponents on here, including Mr. Uh, Jeremiah Ellison, we at least offer uh, extend an invitation to him so the audience can share ideas on all of that. But before we go, I want you to uh, tell the citizen of Minneapolis in a minute or less, what's your message is to them? My message to Ward 5 and citizens of Minneapolis is very simple. My entire life as a brought hurt and broken families together, lives, and community. Our city is very divided right now. uh, And I believe that I have the gifts and skills and abilities to start bringing us together. I don't believe in cancer culture. I don't believe in calling people out. I believe in calling people in. Okay. Anybody and everybody, no matter where to do for the city of Minneapolis. Uh, I think that... uh... It's a good approach. And what message would you say to the current leadership uh, that's gotten us in this situation besides you got to go? <laughs> what message do you have for our current leadership who's gotten us into this mess? I don't know. I think, we like got, go I, think we, I think they got only two months left, so I, I don't really have a message for them. I just got to work and, and make sure I do my part to, to uh, change this ward. Uh, well, you talked about your survey here in North Minneapolis. Just remember, there are communities out there that have got a lot of these white liberals who believe in this stuff. And I, I hope you're right because, I, look, I, I'm just up front. They all should go just about. I mean, there's a couple of them we should say, but all the rest of them in common, they should go. And the mayor should go, too. I'm, I mean, I'm just upfront about that. And, and, and well, We don't we have don't a lot of on. options up there. We don't have a lot of options yeah. in the mayor because uh, the person that was in the second place is, is an abolisher, and the person that was in third place is a defunder. So uh, yeah, I don't, really, is, I don't, I don't yeah, think we have very many options. I think our, is, I think the yeah, mayor is our best bet. The, yeah. There's a new guy that's jumping in there, uh, Clint Connor. You should check him out. <laughs> but uh, we got a couple uh, uh, better options out there. But I think the mayor is in a very strong position uh, in, in this race as yeah. well. How do we get into this situation, man? Good God. Uh, so uh, I always like to end this because we're a positive program. We're realistic and we like to share. But I always like to end it uh, on a positive message uh, to our audience. And so let's, why don't you leave us with a positive message, uh, Pastor Victor Martinez and candidate for city council. The, the message I've been saying is real simple. 
Um, the time for citizen spectatorship is over. We need everyone to activate. If you love our city, if you love our community, because the people that run this city are the residents that vote on November 2nd. If you don't live in Minneapolis and you can't vote, help a candidate out. Contribute some money, help them in their campaign, jump on social media, share them. Like you, We have the power in the community, and if the community stands up and speaks out, uh, we got better days coming ahead of us. So we have the power in our hands. All right. Well, thank you, Victor. Uh, keep up the good work. Uh, uh, let's continue to try to serve and make a difference. Let's continue to fight against these hawks uh, that's sitting on the fence uh, trying to uh, destroy our community and go out and let's make it happen and hopefully we'll clean house a little bit and get Minneapolis back on the road to recovery and rebuilding. So thank you very much. Uh, go and enjoy your dinner in your home and I hope any the emergency that took you away has been resolved. I hope and, so uh, we'll, <laughs> We hope to have you back on and we'll talk a little bit more about your religious work. But here's the thing, Victor. We're going to have to work on that Wi-Fi connection between now and then. So I'm good so luck. Sorry. Uh, no, good luck. And uh, uh, keep on uh, doing what you're doing and stay on the fence. Thanks. All right. Bless you. Take Bye care, man. guys. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye.